This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Oh my God, Jack, we have not gotten a chance to catch up in like a quick second, but I had the craziest thing happen like the last week of October, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and I'm in the shower, I'm doing my monthly check, and I felt a fucking lump. I felt a lump, and I was like, oh my God, like my period was just finishing, but like my guts literally were up in my throat, and I'm like, this isn't fucking happening. I just moved to, I just, I literally just moved to Cleveland. I got fucking dumped. Now I feel a lump in my boob. Like, not happening in the universe. So I get out of the shower. It's like 11 o'clock at night. I shoot off a message to my doc and I'm like, help me now, please get me in a mammogram. <laughs> they called me the next day and I had to drive like the, the soonest I could get in to get any imaging done was an hour and a half south of Cleveland. But you know what? I did it. Oh my God. I was able to get in there. They smooshed my boob in the mammogram, which with an implant, really weird. They like actually pulled the tissue away from the boob and like away from the implant and then smoosh. Um, But then they did an ultrasound and they like left and I didn't hear anything. And I'm like, oh my God, my brain's spinning. I take a picture of the screen and all I see is this like dark spot on the screen. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my, like, this is it. My life is over. And they came back in and they're like, it's just sis. Oh my God. It's just like a little water fluid filled cyst. She's like, yeah, you got some on the other one too. Like if they bother you, we can drain them. I was like, don't tell me that. I will literally go to work and have someone tap this cyst myself. Yeah. You're like, I'll do it myself. <laughs> I will do it. <laughs> I could see you doing that. Like I honestly, I could totally see you doing would. That. You know me, I'm a pimple popper thing, but it's not. It's just like, it's like a little internal cyst. They're like, yeah, we're not worried about it. I'm oh, like, oh, what a sigh of relief. God. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so stressful though. Like that is just the feeling. I can't even imagine just like, oh like my you said, God. your heart just sinks. It does. So everybody, yes, your heart might sink if you feel something, but check your breasts. Yeah. Just and go get it, it checked out. Yeah. Right. As quickly yes. as possible. Yes. But on brighter, happier news, we have my dear, my love, my friend, my husband, Alex Amato on the podcast today. He is a CRNA, a certified nurse anesthetist, and we are so excited to speak with him. I say we like I'm like bringing you into it, but it's you and me. Without further ado, my dear Alex Amato. Alex, welcome to the WOMED. Thank you for having me. Oh, I love you so much. I love you. How's everything going? <laughs> Everything's a little chaotic today, but that's fine. Uh, when isn't life chaotic? I know, it's true. Yeah, we're recording from my bedroom today because 
my brother is visiting. And so he's in the guest room where I normally record. Um, so he is being very patient and wonderful. And, you know, <laughs> love that. not many people know that Alex and I first met in Peru. Like we met in the Delta Sky Lounge because you were super fancy and you had like lounge access and Danny and I had just met and then we met you and we're like, okay, we're going to have a fun time going to Peru with figs on the first ever figs medical mission trip. Yes, it was amazing. And it was so crazy too, because I feel like they, you know, they let us know that we were all going and they, they hooked us up with an amazing trip. And we all kind of met for the first time, like literally wanting to the airport and then I was like, hey, let's go get some drinks. And we knew we had a long flight ahead of us. So I went and got some wine, some snacks, and the rest is history. You've been my husband. You've been my husband ever since. Ever since. <laughs> Alex, you also just celebrated a big anniversary. Happy one I year. Did. CRNA. Thank you. CRNA anniversary. Yes. I don't know, Jack. I think I fumbled that one. No, it works. I'm so excited to ask you so many CRNA questions because I work now completely as a faculty member. I teach in Chicago and so many of my nursing students oh have questions gosh. on how to be a CRNA. It's like one of the top questions. So I'm so excited to ask you everything. I love that. I didn't know you were in Chicago. I'm also in Chicago. We should link up and I would love to if you have like students who would want to, you know, either shadow or have like a day where, you know, we come in and, and kind of show them around or I can come talk to them. I would love that. I love to speak to new students and mentor new students. And I love to teach and operating them too. So. Oh my God. Okay. They would die. All right. We're going to talk after everybody. We're going to talk. Yeah. We're going to talk. I'm so jealous. My jaw is on the floor. Okay. I'm so excited. This is the beauty of the WOMED. We just make connections happen. I love it. I love it. It's so true. Oh my God. I'm so happy. I'm also very jealous that you and Jack are in the same city because I haven't seen you in forever. But I also We're gonna really change need, that. I know. I also I was, really I mean I was you and Jack. Don't even get friends. me started on this topic. <laughs> no, don't even get me started on this topic. There's and only she's one so person's close. Fault. It's only one person's fault of why she's not in Chicago. And it's she's it's so close. So. Um, it's not technically all my fault, but okay. It's, it's not all your fault. It's not all okay, your let fault. Me re let me rephrase. It's not your fault at all. But yeah, now at this point, we're just going to kidnap you and make you come here. Okay, perfect. Please come. <laughs> okay, so we've established you guys are going to be best friends. And I'm really jealous, but I'm also very excited because... Alex, you just bring like so much light and joy and love into everyone's life. And Jack needs that too. You know, so. Oh, I love that. Thank you. I would love to be friends. Well, it's going to happen. But Alex, you actually started PICU in DC, right? Yeah. So I grew up in the Midwest and then I moved to the East Coast. When I decided that I wanted to be a nurse, I had an idea that I wanted to be a CRNA. So I kind of packed up everything and moved to the East Coast. Um, I did an entry-level master's program. So I had a, a biology degree before and then decided I wanted to be a nurse and a CRNA. So then I began the journey back in 2015. And so I moved out to the East Coast, did a two and a half year program out there. And then when I graduated, I just I was in Baltimore um, for my nursing program at Hopkins. And then I graduated, moved to DC, and I did pediatric cardiac ICU for three and a half years or so before anesthesia school. You're such a badass. We've talked about all like the awesome stuff you had at that hospital. And 
um, how it was so much better than where I used to work in the NICU. But I feel like most CRNA, well, all CRNA applicants have to have so many years like ICU experience. Were you worried at all that like your PICU experience might not qualify? Definitely. Initially, when I started applying to anesthesia school, I started browsing anesthesia programs. That was back in you know 2015, 16 is when I started like exploring it, kind of when I started nursing school. I made this huge spreadsheet. And what I found was that only 25% or so of the schools I was looking at actually accepted pediatric ICU experience. Most CRNA applicants come from adult ICU, which was really discouraging to me at first because, you know, I thought that it was such an uphill battle for me to become a CRNA. But I think over the years, people have realized the value of pediatric ICU experience, especially as it relates to anesthesia. I learned that there's a lot of math and anesthesia in general. And when you come from a pediatric background, you learn how to do math based on, you know, kilogram weights of these small children. And so it really gives you a really good idea of, or a good control over the care that you provide. And it really translates into the math that you do when you become a CRNA or when you're in CRNA training. And also the things that anesthesia programs want to see is that when you're applying that you have experience with intubated patients, you know, mechanical ventilation, that you understand how vents work and how to uh, manipulate vent settings in order to care for a patient. They want to see that you have managed vasoactive medications, so you're titrating drips, working with hemodynamics, working with patients with central lines, arterial lines, invasive monitoring. And so those are a few things that anesthesia programs want to see from applicants because it translates to things that we do every single day. And I think that the good word has kind of gotten out about uh, a pediatric ICU experience because I dealt with the sickest of the sick patients uh, just because they're little babies and little, you know, children doesn't mean that you're not getting that really good experience that translates to anesthesia. And so what I found was that when I actually started applying, those schools started to kind of open up their mindset to having pediatric ICU mm. applicants. And I think that, you know, over time, people have realized that some ICUs provide that type of experience for applicants. Now, whether you're in adult ICU or pediatric ICU or any type of ICU, the type of care that's provided varies widely. So that's why I knew when I was at, when I was shadowing and doing things like that, I, I I was able to see that a lot of the experience that I had would translate into the job someday when I became a CRNA. And so, like I said, I think that no matter what type of ICU you're in, that experience varies widely. So if there are applicants that are watching this and listening to this, they should know that to find an ICU that provides all of those things. And the most important thing when you're interviewing or you're on the interview trail for anesthesia school, you want to be able to speak to that. And there are some programs that will ask you specific questions about that and kind of quiz you about the experience that you have and the drugs that you are giving and the vasoactive medications you're titrating, because they know exactly what type of experience they're looking for because they're CRNA themselves. And so the most important thing is that you can go into the interview and be able to explain the things that you've done and, and really use your experience to your benefit in order to show them that you know kind of what anesthesia is and what you're doing and that you can kind of use that experience to tell them how it will translate into you being a fantastic CRNA.
I love that you're bringing all this up about like pediatrics and like ICU experience because I feel like a lot of people, I don't know if it's like have like a little judgment or like biased against PICU and NICU, but we do all the same things. We have all the same drips. We have all the sedative medications. We have all the vasoactive drips, have all the same lines. We are just literally monitoring everything on a much smaller scale. So you're so right. Yeah. I mean, like all the calculations that you're doing, like we're already used to doing all of those. The math that I was doing in the pediatric ICU was such a massive tool for me when I was in anesthesia school because my classmates struggling with some of the calculations that we were doing and I had a leg up. Now I will tell you when, when you're somebody from the pediatric world going into adult medicine, because the primary patient that you're dealing with in anesthesia school is adults. You'll have pediatric rotations, but for the majority of your training, it will, you'll be dealing with adults. It took me a second to learn, you know, specifically the drip rates of vasoactive medications for adults, because in pediatrics, we do, you know, for like vasopressors, a lot of them are mics per kilo per minute. But then when you work in anesthesia, you know, for adults or you're in the ICU and you deal with adult patients, a lot of them are mics per minute. And so just re-familiarizing yourself and learning the different drip rates and stuff. That took a little bit of adjustment, but I will say that the benefit of the pediatric ICU skills as far as, you know, titration and math and everything, that was far more important and valuable than the time it took for me to learn adult dosing. So I want to clarify one thing about CRNA school, and I, I just want to make sure that this is not like a... um like a rumor that's still going around that's like old news. But is it still true that to go to CRNA school, you are going back to school full time and you are not working at the bedside at all? Uh, that is 98% true. Yeah. So most CRNA programs require you to be completely full time. Some programs make you sign a waiver to say that you're not going to work because it is so demanding mm. and it requires so much mm -hmm. time. But my program didn't. My program, you know, I was thankful to have program directors who kind of understood we're adult learners. So they trusted us to be able to commit to a full-time requirement. But in the last few years, the CRNA education has moved from a master's degree to a doctoral degree. And so a lot of programs now have really, in, in the best way, they've understood that going back to school for a lot of people full-time for three years is a massive undertaking. And so what a lot of them have done is have transitioned to the first year being the DNP project that you kind of start in the beginning. And so they allow you to work part-time and do, I know a few programs that allow students to be remote for the first year. And so they complete their DNP education and their, they begin their project remotely. Uh, and they allow them to continue working for the first six months to a year. They allow them to work remotely, and then a lot of them continue to work for you know the first six months to a year. And then when they dive into the meat of their anesthesia training, that's when they require them to be full time in person. So I think that's really mm -hmm. nice because you know I have a friend um, in DC who uh, is doing his anesthesia training, and they allowed him to work for the first six to eight months of school while he completed his like early prerequisites that don't require any in person labs or any in-person classes. And so that makes going back to school a lot more manageable for people who have families and who, you know, require an income and, and have kids that need to support, things like that. It makes it a lot more manageable to go back to school when, you know, two years versus three years full-time committed. But yes, for the most part, students are not allowed to work because it is a very, I mean, 
Deacon. I didn't hear from you for like almost two years. <laughs> yeah, I was MIA for a few years um, while I was in anesthesia school. But now that I'm on the other side of it, I could say that it was the most difficult thing I've ever done. I would never want to do it again, but I would do it again in a heartbeat because where I am now and the things I'm doing now is so meaningful and so much fun. The risk is worth the reward. I'll say that. And I love what I do now. You know, I miss the the intimate connections I made with families and everything in the ICU. But I would say that the day-to-day job now is so much better. I love being able to take complete control of my care plan for the patient. I've learned so much in the last few years. And like Dee was saying, I just celebrated like my first year a few months ago being a CRNA and the amount that I've grown in 12 months is astounding. And I can only imagine how much better I get and the skills that I'll obtain, you know, five years, 10 years down the line. I'm so proud of you. It's so much fun for me to see this journey that you've been on because yeah, I mean, like you went a little MIA, but you were also putting in a ton of work. But from meeting you in Peru and going to all these different orphanages and, you know, treating people there to watching you going through school to like seeing you now, because we haven't like seen each other in person in a minute. Yeah. But like watching you just glow, like when you're talking about this work and how excited you are, especially for teaching. I hope you get a ton of students because you could you could literally convince anybody to do it, I think. Oh, thank you. I'm hoping this episode is like really great. We can cover just like a few different topics of pathways that CRNAs can take. So I know some are just like employed through hospitals. And then some are also kind of like contracted out like through like different agencies. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, so there are a lot of different avenues CRNAs can take. The benefit of being a CRNA, there's so many benefits, but one of the major benefits is that we can provide anesthesia independently of um, an anesthesiologist in some, in most states. Yeah, in a lot of states, we can work independently. And that that allows us to really uh, ensure access to anesthesia in rural areas and other areas that anesthesia personnel is lacking. We're going through a major shortage of anesthesiologists and CRNAs right now. Their anesthesia market is booming and there are so many jobs and so many needs going around. And so one thing that people might not understand about CRNAs, sorry to go off a little off tangent a little bit, but one thing that people might not know is that there's only a few states in the country that require CRNAs to be supervised by an anesthesiologist in the operating room. Wild. So, yeah. So we are trained in anesthesia school to be completely independent providers. There are a few different models. The most popular model in anesthesia in, in the world or in the country is called the anesthesia care team model, which is where uh, CRNAs are supervised by an anesthesiologist. And so we work together on the plan of care, but the CRNA usually is the one that provides most of the anesthesia care in the operating room. And so the majority of CRNAs work in this environment, but there are also other environments where the supervising physician is not an anesthesiologist, it's actually the surgeon. So we are, able, mm. we are in most states, we are allowed to work underneath the surgeon, which means that, you know, we are responsible for 100% of the anesthesia care, which is seeing the patient, clearing them for surgery, deeming them safe and healthy enough to have surgery, and then you know, perform the entire anesthetic process from induction, which is when they go to sleep to emergence when we wake them up. And so 
CRNAs are trained in our, you know, in school to be able to do that entire process independently if necessary. So that provides a lot of opportunities for CRNAs to work in rural areas, in private surgery centers, and a lot of different environments independently. But with that, with that being said, you know, most CRNAs or yeah, the majority of CRNAs work in the anesthesia care team model where we work closely with anesthesiologists to kind of see the patient, make sure they're healthy. And then in the anesthesia care team model, the anesthesiologist is legally required to come in for induction and when they go to sleep and emergence when they're waking up. But I will say the the trend typically is for them to only come in during um, induction, which is when they go to sleep. And then Normally, if we need help waking them up or anything, if we have a difficult airway or something like that, and we need a second set of hands, we'll call them in for when the patient wakes up and we extubate them. Uh, but I will say that in my experience, most of the time, I'm extubating and waking the patient up and making sure they transition to the PACU safely, independently by myself. For me personally, so I work in the ACT and anesthesia care team model uh, full-time, and then I also work independently doing cataract surgery, uh, anesthesia for cataract surgery, independently at a small eye surgery center here in Chicago. And so at that eye center, I'm responsible for all of the things that I was saying. You know, I, I make sure that they're healthy. I, I pre-op them. I make sure that, you know, I have a good understanding of their medical conditions, and then I deem them safe for surgery, and then I give them the medicine that they need and make sure that they're comfortable and then um, see them in the recovery room, make sure that they're fine to go, and then I send them home. So I have kind of a, the best of both worlds. I'm curious. I'm going to ask you the million-dollar question that everyone wants to know um, when they're thinking about going back to be any sort of advanced care provider. How mm-hmm. many years do you think, in your opinion, is a good amount of time before applying to CRNA school? That is the million dollar question. Um, it really is. Everybody wants to know. Let's hear the hot take. It really is. So in my opinion, let me start off by saying what's technically required. So most programs look for a minimum of one year in ICU. What that actually translates to be when I, you know, knowing hundreds of students who have gone through anesthesia and knowing their experience, I would say that very few people are able to show that they have the knowledge that it takes to become a CRNA in one year. And every year I see the average number of years increasing by a little bit. I would say the sweet spot is probably two to three years at the minimum. Uh, I felt like after three years, like I said, I was a nurse for in the ICU for about three and a half years before I went back to anesthesia school. I think that I was ready. I think I felt prepared going into anesthesia school with that amount of experience, but I will say like, I see the years of experience increasing every year because anesthesia school is becoming so much more competitive every single year. I think that when I applied, there was over 300 uh, applicants. There were, I think there were closer to 400 applicants for 36 spots. And my class was pretty big compared to most other schools. I think wow. I think a lot of schools are kind of leaning towards the two, at least two years. Like that seems to be the hard stop uh, that I've encountered. But um, I know that some schools have much smaller classes in like the 20 range. I think that's more common, especially at the doctoral program. So yeah, I, I would say that the, you know, the hard stop is, or the technical amount of experience is one year, but I find that more often than not, it, it's two plus. 
I think that's fair. I don't know about you, Jack, but I feel like it took me at least a good year and a half, two years to even feel comfortable working as a nurse. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, even if they'll accept you after one year, like, I I wouldn't even do that to myself. Like, yeah, the amount of experience that you're going to learn in an ICU is only just going to help you get through school. Like, if you don't have those two years of foundation, yeah, after a year, I'm like, it takes a year to even know what the hell you're doing. (laughs) And and to be like on your own as a nurse. (laughs) I love your perspective because you are, I think, really laying it out there how your job, even though like you're so passionate and we can hear it in your voice how much you love what you do, it is a massive responsibility. Like being an independent provider in that kind of environment is such a massive responsibility. Like it's not just like a fun little cool thing to do to go back to CRNA school. You are signing up for a job that's going to have so much responsibility. And so you're going to want to put yourself in a place where you can feel prepared to take care of people and prepared for that job. Mm -hmm. You know, nurses who are listening to this who are considering going back to school, Emotional intelligence and self-awareness is something that is so important in anesthesia because, you know, a lot of people want to be CRNAs and they want to just start, you know, they want to go work for a year in ICU and jump right in. But having the self-awareness to know kind of where you stand is really, really important because you never want to feel like you're in over your head. You hear this a million times in anesthesia school, but you don't know what you don't know. And even you know, as a CRNA of a year and a half, who is still fairly new to the profession, I am willing to accept that there are things that I don't know, and that I'm still learning. But you never want to learn some of these lessons at the expense of someone else's life. And that is so important. Because when you start in the senior school, you really have to give your whole heart and soul into learning, because there might be a day where you're required to quite literally save someone's life. And you should never discount your experience at the bedside, you know, before you start school, because you never want to learn those lessons the hard way. The way that I did it, as I kind of mentally prepared myself for school was, you know, I thought of, an ex, you know, a time in ICU where the patient was in a really critical condition, and your whole team came in and, and saved them. There are times where you feel like, as a new nurse, you're kind of riled up, you're kind of nervous, and you maybe. F- I know that when I was in my first year or so as a nurse, I was, you know, a little bit shaken and nervous and whatever. Those feelings, I think, are really important to acknowledge because over the time in the ICU, there will be a time where you are the calm in the storm. You get so good at your craft and you get so good in those environments that that your first gut reaction is no longer to be scared or worried. You are in the zone and you are ready to go. And Only you will know when you're there and when you are ready to kind of tackle those responsibilities because I have those situations happen all the time. And a lot of times, yes, there's an anesthesiologist, there's help available if I need it. But the first few moments of those emergencies are on me to deal with and manage before help arrives, whether it be another CRNA or an anesthesiologist. It is up to me to make the first few critical decisions. And those few critical decisions could be a matter of life and death. And so it seems very serious and it is very serious, but I will say over the course of your training and your experience, you get so good at managing those things where you no longer are freaking out, but you're able to think really clearly and you're able to just dive in and it doesn't phase you emotionally or physiologically. You don't get as worked up. You just get in this mode where you're ready to go and you know exactly what to do. 
And that comes with time, but I felt a little bit of that in me when I was getting ready to go back to school where I was no longer shaken. I was no longer nervous. I was in the zone, ready to go. I knew exactly what to do. And that type of self-awareness really translates into anesthesia school. And so I think it's always important to take a moment of self-reflection before going to any sort of advanced practice degree, whether it be a nurse practitioner, CRNA, you have to remember that, yes, you have this really important goal of becoming this provider, but you also need to keep your patients in mind or future patients in mind and have the self-awareness to know if you're ready for that step or not, because it is a massive undertaking. And you, like I said earlier, you never want to have that be at the expense of someone else. Could not agree more. Um, there definitely is so much that you learn about like patient management, critical care management from working at the bedside. Um, so I agree that is completely invaluable experience that will help in any future degree. Yes, now, definitely. I have kind of a funny question just to wrap everything up for today. What is your tagline before you knock someone out? Do you have one yet? Yeah. Yeah. Truly, truly, what I say to people before I go to sleep is this sounds super corny and like silly, but I always say, you know, we have them take a lot of deep breaths. So I say, it takes a nice deep breath for me. You know, as you take those deep breaths, we're going to start giving you medication through the IV to drift off to sleep. But I want you to know we're going to be here with you the whole time and um, we're going to take great care of you. So pick out a nice warm beach somewhere. Go to your happy place and we'll see when you wake up. That's what I always say. Oh, that's so cute. I literally could like talk to you all day long. Um, And I'll probably FaceTime you a little bit later uh, just to catch up. Please do. (laughs) Where can people find you if they have like questions? They're like thinking about going back to school. Absolutely. Yeah. So my Instagram um, is Alex Amato. It's just my name. I love to mentor students or answer questions about anesthesia school. So if you are listening to this and you have questions, I'm happy to answer them. Um, just send me a message on Instagram. I love to talk about the field. I love to, you know, put people on to the, the amazing career that anesthesia provides. And yeah, I would love to help anybody who has any questions. You're a dream. I love you so much. Now come visit me so I can do your talks. That episode was everything and more. I hope it helped anyone that is thinking about going to CRNA school, our nursing students, our nurses, our CRNAs. It was just such a pleasure to speak with Alex. He's such a wealth of knowledge and you can really tell how passionate he is about this field. He's the best. I love him so much. If you want to find him on Instagram, DM him, love on him. His Instagram handle literally is Alex Amato, A-L-E-X-A-M-A-T-O. As always, every like, share, review, listen, download of the episode helps the podcast out so much. Jack and I love you big, big time. We'll see you next week. Womed out. Out.